0: hello
1: hello how did this happen we're 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 there we're here we're We're here
0: we are here
1: (laughs) we are fabulous we've navigated our way through technology through the technological maze that is anchor and messenger and various forms of communication to make it here
0: and we're here at the podcast with no name
1: you know what? I love the fact that it's the podcast with no name because it gives us so much scope.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like a, a sense of sort of discovery and exploration at the same time as like a, a deep sense of foreboding in this <laughs> strange <laughs> land.
1: So that's quite interesting because have, you've seen The Sound of Music, Yes.
0: Uh, yes. Okay.
1: So, you know when Maria is on top of the mountains, arms outstretched, she may or may not be singing?
0: A hundred percent. It 100%. opens here, so, yeah.
1: This is what I feel like with the podcast with no name. This is what I feel like when I think this has no name, the possibilities are endless.
0: I, I definitely feel the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I
1: also then suddenly
0: think of an interview I saw with Julie um, Andrews talking about, filming that scene, <laughs> and um, that it was a really intense day with this sort of, I think it was like this 1950s helicopter. Um, and can you imagine the sound that that would take? But every time it passed, and she had to do it like, I don't know, 50 times or something, and mm. nearly knocked her over because of the force of the wind.
1: Good grief. So she wasn't twirling for any other reason other than just to maintain uprightness it's kind
0: of like really blurring the lines of like what you watch a movie for though isn't it because you kind of I'm just bringing us down to reality a little bit
1: well you are and well I think of that and I think you remember Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire Yes. Thank you. This is why we're friends. Ginger um, Rogers, apparently, to make her dresses twirl appropriately, had small weights placed at intermittent. Um, kind of distances in the hemline of her dress. So her dresses would twirl when Fred Astaire used to twirl her, the weights would then make the dress twirl. And she would end up with bruising around wherever the dress stopped. And you think, what women do for art and to look lovely? Like Julie Andrews twirled, Ginger Rogers also twirled, and both of them suffered as a consequence.
0: Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Where did you get that fact from about weights in the hemline?
1: You know what? I don't know, but I was such a big fan of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as a small child. I used to watch um, Beverly, uh, Beverly Hills, um, Bill Collins movie scene on Saturday nights at eight o'clock, and that it, he would always have kind of a, a set of Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire movies, and I would be always watching them. And then I think I saw it on an interview that she did um, just after Fred Astaire died because I think the question <laughs> Question was did you enjoy dancing with him? And I think that that came out. like, No, I was
0: <laughs> maimed. Yeah, I
1: was my... maimed. <laughs>
0: it was awful.
1: <laughs> Just, I still have the bruises on my calves to prove it. <laughs>
0: so we're talking about, you know, the podcast with no name here, aren't we? And we're kind of referencing that, you know, exploration and that. Discovery that happens when things go unnamed. Yes. And also that sort of wonder that might drip into fear or like a light bruising around <laughs> the calf. <laughs> <laughs> or the abrasions that might happen whilst twirling with a 1950s helicopter on an Austrian hill.
1: Mountaintop. Yeah. Mountaintop. Yes. Yeah. So that is quite interesting. I do like the fact that you've brought us back to the purpose of our discussion today, which is to discuss the podcast with no name. And is our goal today to identify a name for the podcast or is it to maintain the name, no name, and give ourselves the scope to do whatever, whenever? Well, what's
0: funny about that question is the more we talk about not having a name, the more I like that the podcast doesn't have a name like it's <laughs> Yes. It's crawling in front of me, almost like, yeah, yeah, no, you go.
1: No, well, and this, like, because everything in life requires boxing at the moment. This is what I'm finding. I need to be put into a box as a person or be put into a box as a potential employee. Everybody kind of needs to know the boundaries, and not having boundaries is actually quite, yes, I absolutely agree with you. It's scary, but liberating at the same time and slightly against trend.
0: Uh, Well, I I think, you know, I think naming things and boxing things has been around for millennia though.
1: Mm, Why do you think that is?
0: Well, because I think it keeps us safe, you know,
1: we're, 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 (laughs) we're lazy.
0: Well, yeah, but I think maybe it is lazy. And I think in some corners of our experience, it could be seen as lazy, but I actually think fear is a the base of that experience, because if I can label you and I put you in a section, mm. you're no longer a threat to my survival. You're no longer a threat to how I'm going to take my next breath.
1: Well, or so- possibly you're a known threat. Like you're still oh, you're possibly 100%. a threat, but you're a known threat and I know how to deal with you and I know I'm you gonna are. You
0: And I'm going to move away from you? Absolutely. Or I'm going to attack first? Yes. Mm. But naming and boxing and labelling I think absolutely has come to the fore in the last handful of years Mm. because we've gotten into our corners and all of those sorts of things that I know you and I have spoken about before, but it's like the name has almost because of the way we are consuming information at the moment really rapidly. Mm a full stop. And I think that's what you're actually saying. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about the fact that labeling and boxing and, and, you know, putting a cap on things is new, but that being the whole sentence and the whole paragraph and the whole essay.
1: And that's, and that's exactly, actually, you've taken the words right out of my mouth because that's ultimately what I have, what irks me, I guess, at the moment. And at the moment, especially because we only see the box there is no nuance there's no all right this is kind of what she is or kind of what that is but there's also another element there's another dimension or there's another smaller box right next door that's attached to the larger box that I'm seeing it's a very blunt way of of I guess what's the word I'm looking for of Categorization. Even mm. the Dewey decimal system has multiple decimal points. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it sounds like at the moment it feels like I'm just working in round and whole numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: You're expanding my mind just the, even around experiences of the last day.
1: Yeah. That's and what I'm going- thinking about as well.
0: And I'm going, oh my God, yeah, like I've I've been consuming a lot of the stuff that's happening in the States at the moment and I'm I'm listening. Let's talk about this being, I don't know what it's called, like through the looking, I don't know, meta, I don't know. Like I was listening to a really great podcast today and I listened to about three episodes. They're about half an hour each. And it's from Slate um, and it's called, oh, no, I'm going to forget the name. Oh, oh.
1: what? I was on hooks. I'm, I'm literally, my hands are. Oh, I remember it. It's called,
0: about- Slow Burn. it's called Slow Burn.
1: Oh, and- I love that name. Oh, I love that name. okay so
0: for the next five minutes we're called slow burn (laughs) that could be renegotiated um so slow burn is basically it started as a podcast exposing reagan
1: oh wow the
0: lens of the age
1: of podcasts
0: well, yeah, before podcasts, but then today they're talking about this amazing woman. Um, her last name was Brussels. Uh, I think it was Martha Brussels, but that's probably wrong. Martha, I think, was one of the people involved. But anyway, she was doing a radio show, which was basically a conspiracy podcast in the 70s. Oh, talk about layers. You know, we're talking about our podcast, his podcast, and then her like future forward podcast of the seventies talking only about conspiracies. Anyway, cycle back to Slate's podcast called Slow Burn. They're talking about the Reagan administration and Watergate through the lens of kind of what's happening now, you know, with Trump Mm. and, and sort of unpacking, hey, this was the first president that was impeached. what How does that inform our experience of today, but he 's not doing it, and they I should say they because it 's a team of people, they are not doing it with a blunt instrument, which is what you 're saying, which is the whole numbers. They are doing a nuanced view of these smaller players in the Reagan and Watergate um, uh, conspiracy or it was an actual conspiracy because, you know, Reagan committed a crime. But Hang on, are um, we
1: talking about Nixon or are we talking about Reagan?
0: Oh, we are talking about Nixon.
1: Because I was thinking, good grief, Did somehow is my understanding of American history so limited as to mix my presidents? And then... As you were talking, I was thinking, all right, I'm just going to do a little bit of research here. And so I've gone to the Slate.com website and I've looked at um, Slow Burn and I'm looking at it as the sixth episode and they're talking about Nixon and Watergate and conspiracy theories.
0: It's 100% Nixon, mm. and I will tell you in a bit if you want to know why Reagan's on my mind. But- yeah,
1: I would like to know that because that is a question that many people might have on their minds when they listen to this particular podcast, and I will be the one to answer it.
0: You're well, it's asking. got nothing to do with Slate's podcast. It might have everything to do with our next five minutes.
1: <laughs> um, but, yeah, so what?
0: what is fascinating to me is that the challenges in the States at the moment mm. Around Trump's experiences is that we are doing the simplification of boxes and categories and we know that that creates conflict, we know that that creates um, you know missing stuff Missing the nuance, missing the stuff that actually matters.
1: Why do you think we are so attracted to it, though? Like, it's such even like even going down supermarket aisles in my everyday or reading um, kind of newspaper article headlines, I'm still so attracted to that black and white... Um. Very simple. Very one-dimensional box. It's like my brain gets to take a little rest and says, "Excellent, that's that." And so, I th- why, do
0: you, why do you think we need to feel safe?
1: Well, I think it's really interesting. Like, if you've have I told you to read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking, Fast and Slow.
0: I think you did and I didn't.
1: Oh, listen, I'm still going through it. I'm so, like, I'm literally halfway through this book and it's been six months. It's one of those books that I kind of pick up, learn a little bit, and then I need a couple of weeks just to digest right. and then understand exactly what it means. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: So his theory, though, is which is fascinating, is that ultimately our brain for 80% of the time just needs to work on autopilot, hence all of the biases that we have. So we just need it easy because ultimately our brain is also working the rest of our body, breathing, eating, sleeping, walking, you know, not getting hit by a tram when one crosses the road. Um, And so ultimately 80% of our function has to be very, very simple functional. the brain just has to work on autopilot and it's the 20% that needs to be more thoughtful, more logical, or this is the way that I understand the book anyway, being halfway through and noting that there is still another half of the book to go. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe it's just, it's, it's a question of survival. Like ultimately we evolved to have 80% of our brain function be in that kind of autopilot mindset. And if you think about it, you know, back in the days that we were living in caves, we didn't necessarily have all of these pieces of information flying at us from every which way. All we needed to know was, are you going to kill me? Are you going to feed me? It was two basic questions. Um, and, and ultimately, so the brain could kind of cope with that fairly easily and the autopilot response was appropriate. And now it's people seem to be using this almost instinctive brain function against us. Like now we, we naturally and instinctively turn towards something that is simple and yet without really realising that nothing is simple. And it probably never was, but no, definitely now nothing is simple and there's nuance and there's degree and there's a lot of grey in which we live. Um, So I don't know. I think that instinctively, biologically, we crave simple. We actually need simple to be able to function. Otherwise, I'm going to stand in the middle of the road contemplating Trump with the 20% of my brain and not be able to move beyond where the tram is going to hit me.
0: Well, you've hit the nail on the head, haven't you? Because you're describing a reaction, Mm. which isn't a response, because a response calls upon our frontal cortex in our brain, our right and left thinking brain, which empathises and builds facts. I've owned the simple mm. off- structures, by the way. And, you know, uh, that is a response where we think about other people and we think about what's true in the world and we think about what might not be true, you know, mm. we're questioning ourselves. I think Seth Godin had a blog post on that yesterday oh, or even today about conflict actually.
1: Oh, like- I really liked that. I've read it, yes. yes
0: knowing that we're right which is the source of the heat in a confrontation it's so true so when we're reacting we're in that amygdala which is the limbic system which is the center of emotions so then we attack we flee or we freeze in place um this is going to sound so set up to our listeners that you're suggesting we talk about this when i say what i want to say next but we have had no plants.
1: <laughs> because that's the way that we operate. It's yes. so much more fun that way. So
0: to, I'm Look, you know the work that I'm doing, um, but I've had this book on the shelf, right? And I have been not dreading it at all, but just going, wow, that's going to be a big read and I need space to do that. And it's a book called Polyvagal Theory and it's... Uh,
1: I understand why it stayed on your shelf.
0: (laughs) And it's pretty thick, right? And it's written by a research scientist, not uh, a lay person or a practitioner. He is a researcher. And fun fact, his wife basically found out and is one of the main researchers in the States about oxytocin being produced in the brain. Mm. He's amazing, and he's talking about oxytocin and all of these things. But basically he was describing how the three neurological systems that evolved over thousands of millennia um, in our bodies and in our cousins' bodies of vertebrates across the animal kingdom um, actually are doing what you're describing. And they're actually, if we're not regulating the vagus nerve, which is the nerve system that has its nucleus at the base of the brain and runs all the way through your heart, through your diaphragm and down into your guts and is responsible for um, reading and giving facial uh, cues and expressions. It's responsible for middle ear function of actually hearing a human's voice. And it's responsible for um, the flight-flight, two separate systems are actually for the active process of flight and fight. And then another third process is responsible for freeze or collapse. Um, It's just amazing. And it is these nerve structures and the resulting organs that they are attached to that are actually keeping us in fear. And if we're not aware through our own work, and we can discuss what that might mean for lots of different people, but doing work around increasing our awareness on ourselves and being more conscious and more responsive, less reactive, um, that system will rule. And so, therefore, we do need the label, we do need the box, we do need the-
1: So that's a very complex concept that you've just provided me with. Can you, and I think I understand it, but can you take it, take it back or, or give it to me again in like kind of in dot points? I think I need to hear that again to really understand it. So what is, what is the theory?
0: So the theory is.
1: So the theory, three parts of the body.
0: No, the theory is the vagal system of three different networks of neuron neural networks.
1: And what are those? What are those networks? So, like, is it a specific location based in the body, or specific nerves, or
0: they? We could get so specific, and they. But I'm not. I'm not there. I, as in my knowledge of that, is not. Mm. But the vagus nerve is, and its system of um, nerves, basically. Are responsible for flight, flight, and freeze, and also our ability to interpret safety or not, and therefore our ability to receive the expressions of emotion and show them back to people. And a lot of theory in the past has ignored the interaction of the brain, the biology.
1: the biology, God, yes,
0: yeah. it's actually ignored, and, and I suppose the crib note here is that it's an interconnected system all the way to the base of our body, and that is the difference.
1: And see, I'm, I'm, as you're speaking, I'm doing some research and I've wikied the vagus nerve so I can actually see what it looks like. This is fascinating. And that makes sense if you think about kind of those yogic and meditation kind of traditions, which use breath work to kind of calm the body down, which will ultimately, oh, this is really cool, which will ultimately change the biology of the, of the body.
0: We think about all of the things that we have gravitated towards to slow down, be present, be more self aware, be more connected into our bodies. We've now got science, it's actually started decades ago, which has just come into the fore of um, some practitioners' thinking mm. that is giving us actual structures in the body of why we're doing it. Why do we talk about chakras? You know, mm. why do we talk about deep breathing? Mm. why do we talk about our gut feeling the vagus nerve actually ends in the guts as two little hooks with these little balls on them our gut feeling is the vagus nerve picking up something our body's wisdom is actually being transported back into the brain from the gut and uh it's phenomenal because for me it gives me personally uh, i just deep breath out to trust my body's process and trust what unfolds but I think to go back to the point right
1: where we, was that what, what point were we trying to make
0: the black and white thinking putting things in a box categorizing things yes. and I asked you a question why do you think we need to be safe I think that's because a lot of us are walking around this world thinking that we are back in that village you were talking about about to be attacked Hmm. Our central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, (laughs) all of the things that are outside the spine and the brain are panicked and they're on edge. So we need to label something. We need to put it in its box as little as that selection of on the supermarket shelf to be able to find some form of safety and space, just like what, your guy Dan saying, "I've just mm. put that in my wish list on Kindle. This is sponsored <laughs> by Kindle, but it is in my wish list on my Kindle."
1: <laughs> I love it. No, you you adore this book, but isn't it? I, I find it really like I'm still kind of chewing over the ideas that you've given me, and I love the fact actually it ties into something that I was reading either today or yesterday about how ultimately we set off to discover and we come back to the place that we started better understanding that place i'm paraphrasing but th- that was the the kernel of the idea that i was reading about and it strikes me as fascinating and i see it a lot with with yoga and with meditation and also with like cooking and and well-being as well that instinctively as humans we know what to do and then we move away from that instinct or we listen to other people telling us what so what science is telling us or what what other um, kind of more traditional forms of learning tell us forms that we are more maybe comfortable with we have more faith in and ultimately these more traditional scientific pursuits are coming back to the point that we actually knew when we were sitting in a cave, that almost instinctive, now we have a reason for, for, um, for understanding why we have the instincts that we do and why we feel the fear that we do or whatever. But ultimately it's taking science a long time to come back to the point that we were actually already at when we were just being human and not necessarily thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I, like, I love that.
1: It's really cool. Like it's a really cool concept though. Just I was in the most amazing yoga class tonight and it was a very slow yoga class. Like it was a vinyasa practice, a lot of flow. And for the first time, I actually felt completely kind of relaxed, but not just a, I'm on a beach looking at a blue kind of sea relaxed, just like every fiber of my being was very much at ease. I guess that's probably a better term. And just the – it just – it felt right and it was about breathing and it was about being in the moment and being very present and then like a whole host of little ideas kind of popped up that were instinctive ideas like i was thinking okay that's a great idea and yes i absolutely need to pursue that and maybe i do do this with the rest of my life and it was just as a consequence of of being in myself like being in the moment in the body in the mind all at the same time it sounds super weird i understand for the people that have never done that before or haven't experienced it but it was just it was a very calming thought that i actually know what i'm doing i just need to listen
0: yeah I really love that.
1: <laughs> I really love the fact that we have, we probably, for a person that's trying to follow this particular conversation, it must be an absolute, like, quite. they might be befuddled at this point. I wouldn't necessarily, um, I, I wouldn't judge if there yeah, was any befuddlement.
0: But that's why we are recording this, because we sat down and, We saw where we got to out of seemingly benign ideas of life back to bigger things. And and what you're talking to me about right now is what do we return to when we return to ourselves? What happens when we come back and I'm putting up really wanky speech marks back home
1: see I love I love that idea of coming back to the self like and the this like we talk about myself and oneself but if you actually oneself,
0: being oneself I hear a lot
1: yes and as opposed to oneself and myself being two separate words it's my as in a possessive and then self my kernel my my being, which is a combination of my kind of ideas, my brain, my thoughts, and now my instincts, my gut, and ultimately my biology. So now you're kind of looking at the self as being almost a holistic, semi-tangible, semi-intangible presence. It's quite cool.
0: And then I think of my responsibility and my ownership because I go, Mm -hmm. I have seen and noticed in my own development of myself, but also around me, Mm. that this whole thing around, whoa, hold up. You are the only one responsible for yourself. Mm. You are the only one that can change this circumstance and opt out of it. I don't think that's the same for everybody where there is real oppression or um, real violence Mm. being committed. And I mean violence the whole way up and down. Yeah. It's when you don't have all of that stuff going on, you choose. And and that is more times than not, you know, in the equation. And I think a lot of, I hate the word pathology, but a lot of the brokenness I feel is in normal life, you know, unquote unquote Mm. normal life is when we absolve ourselves of responsibility to change anything.
1: I absolutely or, or not even absolving ourselves of the responsibility, but feeling uh, almost a victim esque, having that victim esque mentality, and saying, "My sister and I are doing this fantastic program, like project at the moment. I've got to talk to you about that." But um, it, we were talking about the idea of being and doing, and somehow she's just finished her psychology degree and. Um this notion of being able to kind of sit on a couch, talk to somebody and and then that's enough and i and we were discussing this notion of okay, so what do you do with that? like what do you there has to be some kind of positive action on an individual's behalf to either get better or change habits or think differently or react differently. Whatever you want to change, it's it's a it's a personal commitment that maybe we haven't that hasn't necessarily been as clear a part of the equation, I guess. Or the
0: psychologist or the person opposite them?
1: Uh the person opposite them. Yeah. So oh, yeah. ultimately like me just sitting on a couch and, and listening to somebody, or even actually I was scrolling through an app today and thinking this app is great. Like I'm just, you know, plugging in numbers and swiping, you know, swiping little things saying, yes, I'm happy. No, I'm not blah, blah, blah. There really is no real active element that I'm contributing. There's no real contribution on my behalf. It's quite a passive way of um, of contributing and this app is supposed to be a habit changing app and i was thinking ultimately i can tick any box i can swipe any way that i want to i can read whatever but it comes down to me actually doing something
0: yeah for sure
1: which is really interesting in in the way that we live at the moment there's a lot, there are so many opportunities not to do anything, but ultimately I do feel better when I do something. So many opportunities just to sit at home kind of watching Netflix, ordering Uber Eats, and, and, and quite frankly not. not which not against.
0: I'm not against doing those things.
1: No, it's just the prolific element of it. Like it's become, it should be a part of life but not full life. So
0: like then, go. I totally get I get what you're saying. It's kinda of like if there's too much chocolate cake and you're yes. eating a chocolate cake every day, then You vomit. It's a problem. Mm, oh my yeah. god,
1: I haven't seen favourite yet. Have, no, no, I haven't, but I'm so excited.
0: Okay. Anyway, you'll understand, you'll laugh to yourself why I asked that at that moment when I, we were talking about cake. But anyway, um, I'm not going to go into it now because I could talk about the favourite for a whole episode and maybe that's what we should do.
1: Oh, that's uh, an excellent idea. Can you please give me the opportunity to watch it first? 100%. So <laughs> I
0: noticed that my patterning has represented maybe potentially doing what, you know, consuming audiovisual uh, Netflix or movies or whatever that might be with my partner and that being sort of a moment together. And then I've gone, Hey, that's not serving me. Yeah. And you know, this sort of discourse that happens around sort of entrepreneurial groups or maybe, I don't know, conscious and aware people, we tend to shun fiction books. <gasps>
1: Oh my goodness. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday.
0: So, I I can't wait to hear what you and your friend were sharing because I felt the pressure to avoid them.
1: Yes. And anything that's not literary, like, for example, Chick Lit. I've kind of, I've assumed as, as something that was almost, I've been very snobby and went, what is that going to give me? And not actually understanding that it is, it will give me joy. Like it'll give me like, you know, when you used to read when you were a kid and you used to read, well, I used to read pretty much anything. And it was this imagination, this or like this other world that, that fiction gives that, I've
0: kind of dismissed. Yeah. And so I put that away about a year ago now. And mm. so I've been reading fiction when I've had downtime. Mm. I don't find the time. And I was a bit sort of angry with myself that I hadn't picked it up before the summer break mm. because it opens me up. Like, I mean, it gives me joy. Absolutely. Mm. But it actually improves the ability for my brain to work, and it also helps me ask better questions. It helps me notice things, it helps me see color where I probably would have seen black and white and i 've just noticed in the last sort of five weeks i 've been reading quite non stop different books um, two different books and um it 's kind of like i 'm now questioning you know, those awake, conscious groups of people that think that they're doing the right things by saying, no, you should only read nonfiction and da da, da <laughs> okay. and going, no, hell no. That is not what I want to happen in my space. And so I think for me, noticing patterns of just consuming one type of media, mm-hmm. I've been opening myself up to a beautiful collection of stories, you know, yes. weird things.
1: I have two questions for you well I have one um, one kind of bookmark because I really think that we could talk about moderation in every sense of life um, on another episode because how interesting is it that ultimately it's the gray that we need to work in that will ultimately give us satisfaction it's that balance
0: note <laughs> to talk about dictators at some point as well
1: oh excellent that sounds good well moderation and dictators might not go in the same episode no. um
0: <laughs> favorite down as well before you ask me a question
1: yes uh, i'm just telling me
0: what you and your friend were talking about around non-fiction and fiction
1: well so i have um a friend that uh, <laughs> listen um, we we've kind of connected and and disconnected and connected and disconnected and we have kind of periods of it's like a wavy friendship yeah um and she's very much into um kind of non-fiction at the moment and i think that i judged her for that sorry she's very much into fiction at the moment but quite easy fiction and quite light fiction and i absolutely judged her for that but i'm new in melbourne and um Wanted to kind of make some friends, so I was thinking about joining a book club. The book club that I joined was the Literary Prize winners a, a, a literary prize winners book club, ah. which incidentally is fantastic and I love it. And it's introduced me to some amazingly written books. But my friend has introduced me to this um meetup group called the Melbourne Um Girly Book Club. And it's e I just the name, like e. e- Um, I'm just like, okay, maybe it's not really for me. I went to an event on Monday night and um, saw Mary Poppins Returns and um, they were talking about, so this group of women were talking about some of the books that they were reading. And it just, it's so much fun. Like it's so much fun, some of these books. Like some of them are quite, you know, not not my cup of tea, but some of them are just, they're, they're light, they're incredibly well written, they're interesting storylines and they take you to a place that you'd never go to. And that's kind of where, and it was a light read, like it was an easy read because I was talking about I've I've made a commitment to a book every two weeks, so 26 books over the year um, wow, because... Well, this is what I figure. Like, one of the people that I work with has made a commitment for fifty-two books, and I'm like, that's that's a lot. But twenty-six books, I think I can absolutely handle. And then I was thinking about the books that I wanted to read and looking on my Goodreads list and just going, jeepers! You know, the lightest piece of fiction that I've got is Sylvia Plath's *The Bell Jar*. I'm not sure that <laughs> I'm not sure that that can be my year. <laughs> So that was the, the spirit of the conversation ultimately. That was the catalyst for the conversation around how we, how we judge, I guess, fiction books and those very light, in inverted commas, beach reads or popular fiction that sits on a, a, a Dimmick's table at the front of the store.
0: My genre of choice has mm-hmm. transformed itself into fantasy.
1: <gasps> oh. Okay so this I didn't think that I was into until I started reading fantasy and realized that this is exact this is like chocolate cake for my imagination
0: yeah it's phenomenal and so the first book I read I've got it down here oh my god I just adore this book it's called the girl with all the gifts and oh. when I describe it to you your 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 body will respond in a negative way because okay. it, it always does.
1: All right.
0: I wanted to it in a negative way as well. Before reading it, I was like, yeah, right. That's going to last a chapter, you know. <laughs> it is a zombie book. Uh-huh. Basically,
1: <laughs> but zombies. You know, I haven't read Matilda.
0: Well, I haven't read it either, but I, I know the musical very, very well. I've seen <laughs> the musical five times. Um, Matilda, basically a magical girl who is in, you know, a, a terrible relationship with apparent caregivers. Um, but it, it's bad because it's got nothing to do with her family and her parents. But anyway, it's this amazingly written by M.R. Carey, and it is about, this discovery, but it starts from the girl's perspective and you don't know anything that's going on. And so it's her world seen through her eyes and um, it's just phenomenal. It's like the waking up of a zombie. And it's like I cannot believe how much I loved it. You know that sort of thing when you would be judging yourself, like Uh the version of yourself would judge the new version of yourself who's like, flipping books at like 1am to keep going in this beautiful book that's written so beautifully. That's what the scenario was for me.
1: I didn't even realise, like, I've just done a quick search. Yes. And so ultimately they describe it. So there was a movie made with Glenn Close. Yeah. Um. And it's called, it's a, uh, so The Girl with All the Gifts is a 2016 British post apocalyptic, I always have trouble with that word apocalyptic, zombie horror drama film directed by Colin McCarthy. So that's the mm.
0: book. And I looked yeah. at the trailer and I could not watch the movie because yeah. it's that special to me. And mm. Melanie, the lead character, is that special to me <laughs> that I can Calenda, who's the evil uh, scientist, um, like who's the Glenn Close character. Mm. I just can't do it. I can't do the movie.
1: I can understand that.
0: The movie's quite highly rated. It's got like 80% for a zombie movie that's not bad. But it is the quality of the story writing and his written use of words, which is just amazing
1: and actually that's I think so maybe that's what I and this is and this is an interesting almost a tangent to the story that um a tangent to your story that kind of leads us back to what we were talking about I think it's that element that I so appreciate in in literary fiction and in that more um kind of that dense kind of fiction and nonfiction books is the ability to construct a beautiful sentence and the word, like the ability to, to play with words, to weave words, to mould them and the care that's taken in a book that has taken some time as opposed to a work of what is commonly known as more popular fiction where an author might get out a book every year. And I, I kind of come at that and that's what really, that's what I love about books is the use of words, the use of language that, that richness and that denseness so i'm not sure like if you're telling me that this book is so well written as to equate with that kind of need or as to meet that need um then that would be quite interesting i think i'd be interested in that because i i want something that's going to give my imagination a workout effectively that's what i want it's
0: kind of like you know and you're cycling back to the start of our conversation it's
1: isn't it great
0: it's beautiful because it's the the nuance and the subtlety that happens when you unfold a novel with all of these words placed in these beautiful ways. Yes. It's the difference between that and making a quick assumption about the book, because the old yeah. version of Andrew before picking that up and um, I cannot pronounce this beautiful Japanese bookstore's name in Sydney, mm. uh, outing where mm-hmm. I'm based anyway, um, Kinanao. Oh,
1: think no, about it in syllables. So, think about it in syllables. So, all of Japanese. Kin... Yeah, you're perfectly right. So, two yeah. letters.
0: No, kunia.
1: Perfect. Kinokuniya.
0: Kinokunua. Um, That beautiful bookstore who has the most amazing staff ever because they all are readers. They're avid readers because it's the last bookstore left in Sydney. I think. Oh. They- the only place they can work for, that endemics. But um, anyway, I I was going and finding a friend's list of fiction books. This is like my best, best friend that we don't speak to much anymore because we were really close friends in year three uh, and all the way through kindergarten one, two and three. And then I moved schools. And anyway, but I know she's like this fiction reader fanatic. And I was like, I need stuff that's going to drag me into a world. Like I want to be wrapped up in that world. And so she sent me this beautiful list. And I decided to buy five for a trip that I was going to a year ago. And he goes, look, I know this isn't on your list, but it's really, really good. And you're going to hate the premise, but it's really great. And if I had just sat there and tried to categorize and box him and Potential experience of reading that book and not lean into the possibility of it being nuanced and subtle and amazing, I wouldn't have picked that up and t- t- taken it to my trip and started to read it and be the version of myself now who goes, no, nah, yeah, you know, yeah, don't assume, don't make judgments.
1: Oh my goodness. I've just gone onto their website. I am in love with this bookstore. Mate, it is the best bookstore in the world. Like I li- I, well, I live in Melbourne where there are still bookstores. Like there are still, I can walk in and there are bookstores that smell like books. I can feel the books. They just, they make me very, very happy.
0: Bookstores in Sydney. but And I was exaggerating for all those Sydney people that go, yeah, there are bookstores. But we have a lot less than we ever had in Sydney. <sighs>
1: I remember, yeah, I like I remember in Adelaide. So when I was living in Adelaide, there used to be this bookstore on Rundle Street um, called Mary Martin Bookshop, and whenever I would pass, it would always be open. It would be open until ten o'clock at night, and it would just be this haven of people who knew what they were talking about. The smells, the si- that that particular silence in a bookstore—it's not silent, but it's like a muted noise. But, because yeah. like, we so see
0: books and placards oh. on the shelves. We we hush.
1: It's like a reverence, I think. So I would go to the movies, but I would get to the movies like maybe forty five minutes before the movie actually started. Which, for people who know me, know that I'm always late. So this is a true testament to how much I love this store. Um, and it was just beautiful. But this. And this is very similar, like it's a very similar concept. It's got a very similar feel in the in the website and i've and seriously, so I started with um, with their website and now I'm like looking at. This book called Less by Andrew Sean Greer, the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel about a failed writer trying to escape his problems by travelling abroad. And then this same author has written a book called The Impossible Lives of Greta Wells. How fun does that sound?
0: (laughs) Amazing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is awesome! Oh, I love this. It's like a rabbit hole, <gasps> which is exactly what that Slate podcast was about, talking about conspiracy theories. Uh, yes, that's the
0: episode that I literally listened to just
1: <laughs> before we got
0: on, which is uh-huh. Rabbit Hole. One. And it, it's funny because in the favorite, there are rabbits <laughs> featured in that film. Anyway, I'm addicted to that film. It's in my top three.
1: All right, wow. Okay, this is massive. This is big. Like, I, I don't think we've spoken movies before in terms of top threes and things like that. So, but I know from you that this is a considered analysis. What's number one?
0: Absolutely. No, I don't have a number one. It's kind of right. like my musicals. I have movable five faced. that are all just as good as each other. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really special movie. It's so naughty, though really 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 naughty
1: i love naughty naughty so much fun
0: it's the best kind of naughty it's
1: yes. the same
0: That did lobster did you ever see lobster
1: i didn't i'm i'm appalling i just realized in going to see mary poppins returns which incidentally a lovely movie um it's but it got pardon me
0: it was amazing Love you lo- it.
1: Yeah, I I just realized that I don't think I loved Mary Poppins either. Like I liked it. I was I was enchanted by its almost wist that kind of wistful, kind of genteel beautiful, pretty, happy, whimsical air. Whimsical was the word that I was looking for before I started second. on that line. Both. I thought oh. the second was a really lovely, a lovely not, well, I guess it's a sequel, but a really lovely compliment to the first. I loved the fact that they didn't, it was still very soft. It was still yes. very whimsical. It didn't use too many special effects. It, it felt like Mary Poppins, yes, which almost- I quite loved.
0: The only stuff that did go there was the bath scene. And yeah, I didn't like that at all. The Royal Dalton Music Hall was one of the best scenes I think I have seen in a long, long time.
1: And see, I loved it. But then all I could think of was product placement. Royal Dalton must be just having an absolute ball now. Everybody's going to be shopping because Royal Dalton as a brand has kind of slipped off the radar. Like (laughs) you've got your Woods, you've got your Vera Wangs, you've got all of the cute little American brands that aren't necessarily as good a quality as Royal Dalton. It's so beautiful.
0: Wedgewood rhyme with because I I feel like Royal music hall kind of has a rhythm.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. But how much would they have paid to have that name in that movie? I don't know. Quite a bit. My bet is quite a bit.
0: So I suppose if I wanted to name this episode, we would name it categories.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Boxes. Or boxes. Boxes um this is what we should do at the end of every episode just kind of work out the episode episode title
0: well I feel like there was a main theme in this episode around the, <laughs> the simplification we do in being human which yeah. kind of limits joy um it tends to keep us into the black and white and away from the gray and yeah. a part of that is not because we're bad or evil or weak. A part of that is because our bodies are wired towards safety.
1: And, and also survival. Ultimately it's, it's survival. Our bodies are wired for survival. Um, so let's turn our mind to a title appropriate for this particular, this inaugural podcast. Um, I don't feel like we really went down the categories path. I think we kind of went almost, almost, yeah.
0: So I reckon maybe just one word, nuance.
1: Oh, I like that. A, because I love the word and B, because I think that, I think that that's, it was quite a nuanced conversation. I think, I think all of our conversations are going to be, I think all of our conversations are going to be fairly nuanced, but yeah. All right, let's go with nuance. Given that we still haven't got a name for the actual podcast itself, nuance for the first episode sounds great.
0: I feel like we've made another decision, though, which is that the podcast name is the name. The
1: podcast, the podcast is podcast no, no name. name. <laughs> I, think
0: it's, I think it's tremendous.
1: Well, I think it would make, seriously, every time, I'm going to, every time I'm going to say that, I'm going to see Maria doing the twirls. It's just that, you know. And if you think about it, when she was twirling, that just to mirror and to actually marry both of our ideas, there was that sense of foreboding with the Nazi threat that she must have felt even as she was twirling on the top of that mountain because that happened at the beginning. So it kind of so it's got that open aspect that I see and it's also got that foreboding, slightly fearful aspect that you brought into the conversation.
0: <laughs> well, I must admit <laughs> I have a lot less fear after how naturally it is to record these ramblings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And because at the very for the first five minutes I was like, people might be listening to this, and then I completely forgot about it. <laughs> no, we didn't miss a beat. So did, until, did you, you ever next, think that we would?
0: Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> you, don't, you never know what happens when record, a recording button starts.
1: So uh, I suppose.
0: Until next time.
1: That sounds like an absolute delight, Andrew Sloan. Until, <laughs> now, when are we doing our next time? Did we this say is be a. We did say fortnightly. We also said half an hour and I know we've gone 23 minutes over that half an hour.
0: Time I kind of deeply knew that it would be an hour, so <laughs> like
1: you just didn't share minutes, that with
0: me.: I feel like 50 minutes is a nice sort of timing.
1: all right well let's, let's get some audience feedback on that one because like, we can even disseminate this to our various audiences and say, "Did you get bored of us for 50 minutes, or were you okay? did you Was it amusing?
0: I just <laughs> don't really, I, look, I care about them, but I don't care about them.
1: I love your honesty. So so that means that we will be back in two weeks' time with the podcast with the no name and and we may and we may do some prep beforehand.
0: No, no prep, just one word.
1: You know what? I love that. All right, excellent.
0: Prep one word and the word is balance.
1: Oh this is gonna be excellent. Okay, cool. This is great. I'm so excited. (laughs) Me too. All right, well, I will listen to you. I will hear you in two weeks' time. Keep well. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye.